T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Good morning, Brian Mazarowski here with you on WBEN. For the next hour, BMAS and Beamer here on WBEN. Joe, you'll hear from a little bit later on. He's in for Bowerly uh, one more day before he joins me back here tomorrow on WBEN. Uh, we're here again talking about much of what we've been talking about the past week and a half. Just a little bit different here. Sad, angry, at what is terror, tragedy, and awful event in this country. I'm, you know, back in that same mindset. I think a lot of people are, too. We've said it many times this morning, re-traumatizing. That's the word that's been used. That's the word we used when we spoke with Dr. Michael Cummings, and it is pretty appropriate, I think, because I'm finding myself almost in the same state of mind that I was a couple of Saturdays ago, fuming again at just about everything. At the shooting itself, of course, that's first and foremost. I don't know how you even begin to wrap your head around what happened. Um, I can't even look at the pictures, the stories... The things being shared, I don't know how anyone in those families move forward. I can't. I I can't imagine it. I can't. I think that's most people. You can't even fathom how you would ever move forward after something like that, and. You know, it partly, though, reminds me of something we said last week, that, you know, when it happens in your community, you're left speechless. I mean, that was us Monday, Tuesday, throughout the week last week, right? You don't know what to say. You're left speechless. It happened to hit so close to home. You end up looking inside, and what has happened here in Buffalo? What have a lot of people done? They let their actions speak for you seen that on the east side of Buffalo over the last week and a half. When it happens far away, I, then it's, it's a different response. Even though, like, in your gut, emotionally, it, it feels the same, but you kind of have a, a bit of a different response. I mean, think about this. The distance between Buffalo and Uvalde, Texas, is greater than the distance between London and Kiev in Ukraine. 
that distance put between you, even though we're in the same nation, with that distance there, it becomes a little bit different. You know, how are people in London looking at the war that's going on in Europe right now? How are we looking at, even though something similar happened here just over a week ago, how are we looking at what happened in an area far away? When there's that distance put between you, I think last week we were numb. Here, you don't get numb. It seems to me that you get loud. That's what I've been noticing a lot over the last 20 hours or so. Social media, disgusting, over the last day. Because what really happens, you know, it's something Buffalo's been shielded from in some part over the last week because of our muted response, because we have been kind of in that process of looking inside, of acting rather than speaking, is that people treat this entire thing just like a soap opera. They go online and they plot out the points. It's just as predictable as what Joe watches every afternoon. And that's what gets me angry, too. I get angry when I go and I see somebody offering thoughts and prayers. And then I get angry when I go and I see somebody say, enough thoughts and prayers, we need action, and then offer no tangible idea about what that action should be. You know, take this from the governor who tweeted, it's past time to put an end to these needless tragedies. How? Another tweet I won't name the name. This is just the quote. When are we going to do something? Followed it up. Listen up, politicians. We're following the same beats here. As if some congressman in Omaha somewhere is the person who's going to put an end to this. As if both of our political parties haven't held total power at a national level or at a state level at different points over the last decade. I get angry when I see the immediate finger-pointing at whoever you don't like, which is what I saw played out, you know, more so than what I saw a week and a half ago, right? We, we weren't talking, we were acting. It's the finger-pointing at somebody you don't like. There's finger-pointing at no one in particular. Finger-pointing at this or that political party, finger-pointing at guns, finger-pointing at video games, at mental health, at somebody else's household, right? Finger-pointing at everybody but ourselves. You know, we talked with Dr. Michael Cummings earlier today, Associate Medical Director at ECMC, um, but we also talked with him last week, and it's one of the things that he touched on last week that, you know, in our effort to move forward, in our trying to figure out, you know, how to internalize this, 
that you know, one of the coping mechanisms we have almost instinctively is to point to something that happened, point to some aspect of this perpetrator, point to something that shows you that, well, that's not like me. Um, that would not happen in my house. That couldn't happen in this neighborhood. And that's almost your natural response. But in a time of anger and everybody's pointing fingers and ready to uh, say this or that about what needs to be done, it never seems to me that people look at themselves, myself included. Why can't we do that? Why can't we look at ourselves? The finger pointing goes on and no one ever wants to look inside their own home at your own family. What do so many of these stories have in common? You go through our guests today, and each one of them says the same thing. Young men, somewhat distanced from everyone else. Now, there's no easy solution or one thing, despite what I've been reading over the last day, that's going to stop this from happening. But maybe, just maybe, could it start with parents listening to their children more, hugging their children more, giving their own kids time and attention. I'm saying this not as if it's going to solve all the world's problems, but maybe it's a start. Maybe it's giving kids time and attention. Attention because kids from age zero to maybe 20-something, maybe 30 Kids need a guide. Everyone needs a guide to tell you. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel things. It's okay to have this emotion. Here's how we deal with that. That's why they need a guide in their life. Think about this PSA that we've been running over the past couple of weeks. Leaving a child in a hot vehicle can lead to their death very quickly. Set cell phone reminders or place something you'll need in the back seat so you don't forget your child is in the car. Look for your baby before you lock. It's a public service announcement you've been hearing here on WBEN. Think about that. It has to be a public service announcement. Don't forget about your child. Put something you need, like your phone, in the back seat so you don't forget about your kid. When that's the message that we have to send to parents, what do you think is happening to the kids? I mentioned there's a lot of, you know... I mean, disgusting stuff online. There are a few people mindfully writing in times like these. Um, I like to go, Barry Weiss is one of those. Uh, She wrote this, uh, I think just this morning, from her piece. She said, the social rot that's come over America, nihilism and hatred of each other is part of the cause here. The dissolution of our social ties and with them the accountability and responsibility that an actual community demands has allowed insanity to fester unnoticed. Lockdowns, accelerated isolation, purposelessness, the lack of meaning that was already overcoming us. I found that to be a very good point. Now, this isn't to say all those other things that get talked about aren't part of the discussion, right? The fact that America has more guns than any other country in the world 
Yeah, that has something to do with someone being able to easily access it, right? There's no denying that. Universal background checks, I mean, that seems to be something that's strong support. Every time somebody brings that out, everyone nods their head in agreement. You know, a federal law to spread that across the country. Okay, but if that passes, what happens next? Do we all sit around, say good job, pretend it's over? What if there was something more tangible to do than posting hashtag enough on Facebook or Twitter? What if we treated this as a problem that starts in our own home and in our own block? Eight oh three oh nine thirty to join me this morning here on WBEN. We'll go to Larry. Larry's joining us from north of the border. Which you know, I'm interested, Larry. Um, it says here you're from Canada. This is. Always, every time something like this happens, it's talked about as a uniquely American problem. How, how is it viewed just, I mean, minutes north of here? We, with all respect to what you're saying about the about starting with the family. Hello? Uh, you're, you're on, Larry. Oh, but you're speaking about the root is in the family. And with all respect to who has passed away, from when to when, um, we're glorifying the shooters by talking about them and talking about them with all respect, no malice, no prejudice, no discrimination against anybody. We have to let it go. That's my personal feeling. We just have to let it go. It, it, it's done. Um, even here in our schools here in Canada, They've taken the, the Lord's Prayer out of the school. Maybe that sounds simple, but it, but it reflects back into the family, I feel, because there's no Jesus in the family, because we have to abide by the Holy Bible and the Lord. And you know, Larry, I, with, uh, with respect to your uh, attitude of letting it go, I, you know, I said something here, and thank you for the call. Thanks for listening. I said something a week ago. You know, I tend to be kind of defeatist, right, when something like this happens. And, I, you know, if you catch me in most moments, I would probably sound a lot like you, Larry. That, what am I going to do? You have to kind of move on. I mean, is there any stopping? You hear the stories about this. Is there any stopping one person from carrying out an attack like this? I, I mean, you, you can't convince me that there's a piece of legislation that's going to stop um, security. You hear the story. This person was confronted by police outside of this school. He was shot at, exchanged gunfire, and was still able to make it inside. And, yeah, I feel like that a lot of times. But I think it's also not its not cohesive with the human spirit to just roll over on your back and say, you know, this is what it is. And I think there are ways to look forward. 
like I said, those ways, I think, come in, in many different points. It's not always the two talking points that get thrown around, you know, oh, we have a mental health problem. Oh, we have a gun problem. You know, it, everyone likes to make it simple like that. It's definitely not that simple. But if you do look at the commonalities, you do look at what these people, and you say, don't mention the shooter, I, you do have to in, in some, you can mention him without mentioning him. You do have to look at what type of person this is. And you can learn some lessons from that. I mean, here we have a week apart, two 18-year-old boys, somewhat distanced from society, didn't really fit in. We're hearing about, you know, this person that he was rarely in school. We heard about the shooter here. That he was buried online, not talking to people face-to-face in real life. I mean, what if we could all just take a step to prevent that from happening? And, and maybe that results in something better. Pat, you're on WBEN. You know, Joe, if you just look at the numbers. Brian, by the way. Nice to meet you, Pat. Sorry, Brian. Sorry. Uh, But if you just look at it by the numbers, in 1978, the Ford Pinto killed 37 people from exploding gas tanks. The government moved quickly to recall the Ford Pinto, and it's never been seen again. You're talking about changing behavior in the household. Uh, Let's say there's 20 million kids. There's only six manufacturers that make these. Uh, assault-style rifles that are used over and over again. Why wouldn't we take the easiest course and say to the manufacturer, stop producing weapons of mass destruction that are uh, the weapon of choice of 18-year-old psychotic uh, kids uh, that gun down innocent people? Pat, I, you know, I listened to your point, and I'm sitting here, I'm nodding my head, and I say, all right, a lot of what you say makes sense, although I'm also not naive to think that, okay, we have, what, 300 million uh, guns in circulation that we know of, by the way, in America right now, that, you know, saying, okay, this is banned, that that's going to stop things, right? Joe, we had an assault weapon ban, and uh, it it was allowed to sunset uh, 12 years ago, and since the ban sunsetted, we've seen... Uh, a threefold increase in these types of shootings. That's that's a fact. Those are numbers, irrefutable. So we know where the problem starts. Why don't we address the easiest solution and say, take these weapons of war off the street? I'm not the only one who says it. We have conservative uh, military people. Uh, General Tommy Franks said. These do not belong on the streets of America. These are battlefield weapons. Why don't we listen to the experts? Hey, Pat, thank you. Appreciate the call. I'm, uh, again, by saying what I, what I kind of went through at the top of the show, like I said, that's, it's not to say that guns aren't part of the discussion, that, that something like that. I, I guess it's all to say there's not a 
a one thing to point to. And that's what kind of gets me riled up. When everyone pretends that there's one thing that can change and then we're going to uh, totally do away with the ills of society. But I, I do think there is, and, and you know, it's not to say we shouldn't be calling on the people we put in office to do what we want, right? I mean, you should always be doing that on every issue. But I'm also hoping people are looking inside a little bit, not just at what somebody else can do, but what you can do, what we can do, me included. 927, Brian Mazarowski here on WBEM. Brian Mazarowski back here with you until around uh, 10 o'clock this morning. We're uh, kind of talking through the events of the last uh, really week and a half, uh, but certainly 24 hours. And the resp- what is the response that we should have? What should we learn from this? 803-0930 is the number. We'll uh, start this segment with Steve. Steve's in Niagara Falls. Uh, Steve, what's on your mind this morning? Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, really good points about the family structure. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about families, you know, broken families and single parent homes and things like that. But uh, one thing that I told the call screener was I, there's a little park behind my house. And I noticed parents from the neighborhood, many of them, actually a lot, quite, a, quite a bit of probably the majority, they're pushing their kids in the stroller. And while they're pushing their kids in the stroller, they're on their cell phones. They bring the kids to the swings. They may be pushing the swings with one hand. With the other hand, they're on their phone. Or sitting down and the kids are playing in the slides and they're on their phones. It's like pay attention to your kids. You know, look at the smiles on their faces. Smile with them. Interact with them. If they're doing that outside, I could imagine, you know, what it's like in the home. And it seems like there's such a detachment uh, with, you know, this generation of parents with their kids and it, it, it took a generation for us to get to this point and it's probably going to take another generation to at least try to make a dent in turning this around steve i love the call thank you um and it's it's what you, you know i i was a little worried you started off saying family structure and i think a lot of the things that we're talking about here are not it's not necessarily family structure. It's it's just family, period. Um, I mean, you could be in a single-parent household, and some of these same things would apply. Um, and, Steve, what you're saying hits close to home. You know, what was I thinking as I saw the news of what happened yesterday? I was thinking as I – where did I see the news? I saw it on my phone. You know, I picked it up. I, I got an alert. And in my head, as I'm thinking all these things that I said earlier in the show, this is a me problem, too. Everything you're mentioning, I'm shaking my head in agreement, and I'm saying, yes, and I need to work on that same thing. Because as I'm reading about what happened yesterday on my phone, I'm doing exactly what Steve just said. I'm there. I'm looking at my phone. I'm outside playing hockey with my kid. And in that moment, that's me. I'm thinking, well, let me put this down right now. You know, that's, what can I do right here to help this problem as I see it? And it would be, I mean, insanely hypocritical of me to 
sit here and say all these things that I'm saying without raising my hand and saying that I see it partly in myself. And it is some work, right? It, it, it does take a little bit of effort to look inside and say, what can I do differently? You know, how can I make sure that this isn't an issue in my own home first? And, you know, I love that point, Steve. And that point, I don't want it to be confused, though, right? That point isn't to say, because this is how everything's always presented when we talk about this. I am not sitting here saying that me putting my phone back in my pocket while I'm at the park with my son is the answer to solving what we saw here in the last week and a half. Because that, that's how these arguments are always presented. If only we did this, then this wouldn't happen. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that maybe it can help. You know, maybe it's a first step. Maybe it is a small step in preventing kids from falling into this same profile that we hear over and over of who ends up committing the unthinkable. And, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I thought it was well said. Joe is in Orchard Park. Joe, what are you thinking this morning? Joe, are you with me? We'll have to get back to uh, Joe, who's uh, hanging out here. <laughs> we'll get to him soon enough. Um, but I, I, it's it's one of those ways that, you know, I often, I, I think of things in a slightly different way, you know, a lot of texts coming in this morning, you know, what we need to teach in the house, somebody chiming in, you know, we've lost the value of taking God out of everything. And, you know, it brings up this point in church. And I say this a lot, but I think of it a little bit differently than I think a lot of people, you know, people will decry, you know, there's no, people aren't going to mass the way they were anymore. No one goes to church anymore. And a lot of people I read that as a point on God or, or having God or some sort of spirituality in your life. But I look at it as the same way as I look at, you know, there's a decline in enrollment in, I mean, just about everything. Youth sports. I mean, how many times have we heard that? How many uh, teams in high schools are combining football teams or something else because they don't have enough kids interested, which was never a problem before in the past? And to me, that's the same. That's not uh, saying, oh, kids aren't tough. They don't like winning and losing. No, that's it's the same issue. You know, why is uh, church uh, people, uh, fewer people in the pews an issue? Well, those are fewer people who are around other people on a weekly basis. Less kids involved in sports. Well, it's not an issue because of what football teaches you. It's an issue because those are fewer kids who are around their peers after school every single day. I mean, you go right down the line. It's, why am I so happy? Why do you feel so good if you've been down the last week and a half on the east side of Buffalo helping people out? You know, I think a lot of people go home saying, well, I feel so good because I I did a good thing and I helped people out. And that's partly true. But, you know, maybe another part of this is I feel so good because I was surrounded by other people. I was surrounded by other happy people. I was talking to people. How often do you do that 
over the course of 24 hours in your life. It's dwindling. You know, I, I think of myself as a social person, but I still, I will notice getting a rush. I mean, it feels good to communicate with other people, to communicate with different people and new people. It, it, it's uplifting a lot of times. And we're getting away from that in so many different aspects. And, and I think it's good to look at all of it, right, together. Let's uh, head back to uh, Joe. I think Joe is uh, back with us here on WBEN. Sorry, Brian, I had a bad signal. Um, I, think, I think what you're talking about, uh, teaching your kids to, to deal with stress and everything, I think that's kind of after the fact. We've got to teach our kids about kindness. I mean, there's a lot of bullying that's been going on in schools for a long time now. All of these people were said to have been bullied. Um, remember that college shooter, I think, the Asian kid in West Virginia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I predicted, like, everything that was probably behind that even before the news reported it. And you look at the kid who was the shooter in Texas. Uh, they said when he was in school, he was mocked for being chubby. He was also mocked because uh, his family was poor. And that goes on all the time. And, uh, you know, and people say, well, you can't change how all children think. You know, the easiest thing to do is outlaw guns, you know, guns of war, which they're not even guns of war. They're not automatic. Um, but uh, you, you can change kids because if you looked at it, if you send your kid to school and all of a sudden say your kid is transgender, everyone in the school is laying rose petals at their feet. So you, you can change the culture. You know, it's not about after the fact. It's not about kindness. It's not about anyone. It's just about teaching. It's not too late to, you know, the conversation we had with Dr. Cummings earlier this morning. It's not too late to now, you know, start to walk through feelings with your kid. But it's never too early to do that either. And that, these are all tools that, that get put in the toolbox, right? Kids can carry on for the rest of their lives. Thomas joining us on a cell phone. Thomas, you're on WBEN. What are you thinking this morning? Brian, good morning. Love your show. Um, I I just want to bring up two comments. Um, My daughter, uh, entering her freshman year of college, and you know how tough it is, you know, trying to be popular. She ends up purchasing fake ID for her and her friends. And how many thousands upon thousands of college students, uh, 18, 19, 20 years old, that don't have fake ID? My point is, is that uh, at the house, what shows up but Homeland Security and a New York State trooper? She basically got caught. They were monitoring this type of situation, and she paid the consequences. Another point I want to try to make is that you and I could be having a conversation about, hey, I'm I'm looking to buy a TV. And next thing you know, five minutes later, we're getting bombarded by advertisements of, hey, look at this TV, look at that TV. You can't tell me that the technology isn't there that can pinpoint 
these two 18-year-olds that created these hideous acts that are basically on certain websites or buying weapons of mass destruction or buying armor that we can't try to pinpoint and, and circumvent these things from happening. Thanks for the call. Comment. Yep, thanks for listening, too. Um, and I'm not going to tell you that the technology isn't there, right? Because, like you said, right, you can be talking about something, you can make one search for one Bills jersey, and then the next month, what do you see? Then every website on the Internet knows you're a Bills fan. But I think people will be shocked at the depth of what's there. I, It's one thing to flag it. It's another thing to follow up on it. Um, and when you're talking about this kind of thing, ideas on the Internet, you know, where do you begin? I, I said to um, my guest here yesterday, uh, Jeff Ronaldo, Buffalo Police, uh, a former Buffalo Police Captain, long time there, and about that idea of, you know, how law enforcement, and it doesn't matter, Buffalo Police, any agency, FBI, you name it. Just imagine going to that job. And he says that they just don't have the power to do it. Uh, they, they just don't have the manpower. And I was telling him, well, imagine even if you did have the manpower. I mean, what that job looks like. Imagine going to work and sitting in front of a computer, and where would I even begin? I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's, I think the scope of what is out there would just stun people. Think of things that you find every single day. You know, for me, it's music. I'm constantly, I I find new bands all the time, some of whom have been around for 30 years. I'm like, this has been here the entire time under my nose? That's just one little thing in like one genre. I mean, the amount that's out there is, you know, I agree. It, it can be monitored. How, how you take action on that is, I don't know where to begin. That's a question for somebody a little smarter than me. Um, you, you know, maybe it's a question for somebody as smart as one of our guests this morning. John Cohen is a former counterterrorism coordinator at the Department of Homeland Security. And I was asking him about this problem. We can look at some of the differences between these people who carry out attacks, but by and large, they kind of fall under one category, right? Young men distanced from society. In fact, in investigative and um, analytic um, circles, we've coined a phrase, uh, it's not the ideology, it's the psychology. And what that references is that, um, that while the specific ideological cause or personal grievance that serves as the specific justification uh, for the act of violence may differ from event to event, that the underlying, the underlying behavioral health characteristics of the attackers seem to be, as you say, eerily consistent. These tend to be people, regardless of their race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, seem to be disconnected from the community. They're craving a sense of life meaning. They come from difficult family environments. They have underlying mental health issues. They spend significant periods of time playing um, violent uh, online games. They will spend a significant period online viewing content from past attacks. 
um, and you know they exhibit a growing level of anger and frustration uh, at their plight in life. Uh, and then typically an event which we call uh, a stressor will occur, and that will lead to their adoption of a cause or grievance uh, as the justification for using violence as a way to express that anger. So in the case of Buffalo, uh, the individual, uh, the shooter, uh, self-connected with uh, racist, white supremacist belief systems. But that doesn't negate the fact that he exhibited uh, all of these other behavioral characteristics that we have found exhibited by others uh, who have conducted similar attacks. So you're a former counterterrorism coordinator at Department of Homeland Security. What does the counterattack look like on such a wide cast net of people? Yeah, so that's a, another excellent question. So we understand this threat. Um, we've done a lot of research. There's been a lot of analysis, not only done by uh, law enforcement uh, uh, experts like the Behavioral Analysis Unit or the National Threat Assessment Center at the Secret Service, uh, but mental health professionals have done a lot of work in this area as well. Um, so what can we do operationally? One, we, we need to do a much better job at incorporating um, what goes on in the Internet or in the digital space uh, into our analysis and threat assessment. Um, much of the violence we're experiencing today is being directly driven by content that's being placed online, but also uh, social media and other um, online forums have become platforms in which individuals who are preparing to conduct an attack uh, forecast. Uh, that they're going to conduct an attack. So we need to do a better job at both recognizing those warning signs, recognizing those indicators, and incorporating that into our analysis. It's John Cohen who joined us earlier this morning. It's, you know, it's, it's a problem they know that there is there. You have to do a better job of doing it. How you go about that, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just talking as myself here today and what goes through my head. I am not, it's not in my personality to sit here and be one of the people to point fingers. I, that makes, I, I can't begin with that. That just makes me angry. I, I'm not going to say, hey, do something. You know, what, what can I do? And to me, that's, if you're asking the question, what can I do personally? I, my best answer is what we talked about today. I mean, what can I do is just to try my best to make sure it doesn't happen in my own home and go from there. And I, what more can we all do? I, I'm sure there's more. But that's as far as I can go. I mean, in the wake of hearing the news yesterday and still in the shock of what happened in Buffalo a week and a half ago. So thanks for being with me. Uh, Joe will be back with me tomorrow, I hope. Always a question mark. But you'll hear from him later on this morning after David Bellavia, who comes on with you after the news with Randy here on WBEN, where it's approaching 10 o'clock. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.